Hello, and welcome back to Following Nodon, a Stormlight podcast. Episode five. Four. Four. Episode four. four. Nice try. I'm going to cut that out. <laughs> Today we are doing interludes, interlude one, two, and three, and chapter 12 and 13 of The Way of Kings. Paul, what are your two words for these chapters? So the best I could try to 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 summarize this, we have we have a wide variety, right? We have there's a separate individual interlude. Oh, yeah. There is a wide variety, and then two chapters. So the best I could do to try and summarize is humble and colossal. Humble oh. and colossal, Elliot. What do you have? Those are good. I have lost and found. Lost and found, and humble and colossal. Yep. Let's. Let's expound upon these. All right, interludes one, two, and three. Let's talk about these first. Did the did any of these three make sense to either of you? Nope, a little bit. Nope, and a little bit. So interlude two and three are for are for you guys. Interlude one is absolutely not, but interlude two <laughs> and interlude two and three, you can you kind of understand what's happening. I got a couple things. I, I noticed a couple things, but my, my general takeaway from these these three was no idea what's going on. I'm gonna move on. It'll make sense later. Yes, I I, hope. I do want to talk about interlude two and three, and then we'll come back to one. Okay, I really liked one. I really liked all of them, actually. We, we'll I, we'll I come really back did. to one. Uh, Paul, t tell me about your two words and why you picked them. Okay, so first off, humble. Uh, partly goes into the first interlude. Uh, we see a very... Uh, rural and humble community of, of fishermen type folk okay and such uh, as well as later on we we see a ton of new characters i feel like the most new characters maybe in the book so far maybe even more than the very start of the book um tons of new characters and one in particular um dalinar colin seems to be very humble and he seems like to be a, a very admirable character and so i kind of threw that word in there largely for him his humility okay my other word colossal mostly for the chasm fiend but about it but yep not 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 incredibly deep there he is very colossal he's a big boy big yes he's a big oh, boy yeah. all right elliot what are your lost and found mean so lost and found because for the first three chapters i was lost <laughs> But then I was a little bit found when we got back to chapter 12 and 13 and at least saw some names that I that I recognized. But I also said lost and found because Dalinar, the character we follow for the most part in 12 and 13, he kind of goes from a state of being lost to a state of being found at the end of chapter 13 where he's very distracted by these delusions or visions that he's having and his his sons notice that he's not the same self that he used to be he seems very 
maybe lost isn't quite the right word, but it fit, it fit well with lost and found, so I went with it. Sure. And then at the end of 13, Dalinar has this epic moment, which we'll talk about, I'm sure. And I, that was kind of his, the the old Dalinar has been found kind of moment for, for me. So lost and found. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we will certainly talk about that in due time. But first, let's talk about I2, uh, non-Balot. So, <laughs> the scene is so like makes your yeah. makes your skin crawl. You you walk in on Nonbalat and he's pulling arms off a crab, and he's just talking about how much he he misses his sister and he doesn't think she'll succeed, but he's impressed with her anyway. And he's sitting there pulling legs off a crab and. You get to see what an axe sound is, but it it's kind of th- this chapter kind of makes me like laugh in kind of an ironic way of this is a pitiful scene. He he's it's gross. It it is it is gross. It, it's genuinely like so my big thought on this chapter is it's showing it's showing Nunbalai and almost this like sadistic light that that makes you really worried it makes me worried you know you you hear even like with real life stories of you know people who like torture animals go on to do very bad things and it makes me very worried about you know if if his mental state is okay i mean it's very difficult to think about you don't want to think about it Uh, i mean it could just be a hobby (laughs) i don't know um but <laughs> that doesn't make it better <laughs> yeah i know um but uh it, it makes me wonder um so 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 this is a member of shallan's family right mm-hmm. it's her older brother uh, i didn't a older brother mm-hmm. yeah i d- actually did not like with the starting like depictions i never would have assumed that they were related you know it seems right. like he's also with with the discussion we've had with the reading of Shalon chapters, I mean, she's doing what she's doing to to help her family, mm-hmm. and it makes me wonder if she knows her family, <laughs> or um, if if she really knows what's going on, or if maybe maybe there is like like Ellie had had mentioned. I mean, there's stuff we don't know about her her father's death and such. Maybe this was more of a traumatic thing, and maybe. Maybe they're all a little more like hurt than than we've seen. So yeah, I'm a little scared with this this interlude. I'm not gonna lie, it scares me. Yeah, that those are some good thoughts, Paul. I, I'm I'm with you for sure. I I think the biggest thing for me, I'm with everything you said. The biggest thing for me was just the shock of, wait, this is Shalon's brother like they're so different shallan is just this innocent sweet honest little girl kind of and then here we have her older brother just sadistically torturing little crabs for the whole chapter like multiple crabs like what what is going on i was i was thrown for a loop it was also oddly profound i think whenever it talks about the description of the crab and it talks about, you know, you can't even tell it's alive whenever we don't have our, our arms to wave about and such. And I feel like that was yeah. strangely profound. 
um, a comparison even to like human life. And I think you can compare it even to some of the characters we see introduced later on, which I'll talk about later. He, he's sitting there having an existential crisis. He's, he's looking at this crab. He's thinking about his sister off with the most important person in the world, as he describes Yasna, which I will talk about. And he's sitting there like, all our, all our arms for is to wave around and how do you, just to prove that we're alive. How do you know if we're alive without our arms? You're, you're just sitting there. You're like, are you okay, bro? <laughs> like, do you need to, are you, are you, is everything all right? Yeah, honestly. He's very, he's not, he's not me well mentally. And what you're really supposed to get from this chapter is how, destitute and uh scary shallan's family is shallan deliberately does not want to talk or to think about her her father and her family and she's very much trying to take in carbranth as she's there because back in yakoved where shallan is from it's it is not a good scene Yeah, I, I, this whole time I had assumed that where she's from was pleasant and her family were great people and maybe the rest are. I'm hoping uh, Nambalad is not doing her any favors. Yes, speaking of, uh, well, let's talk, let's touch on axe hounds for a second. Axe hounds are their, their version of dogs. They have eight legs and they have antenna. But you're certainly supposed to think of them as dogs, so like they're they're more companiony than most other creatures we've found. This is everything in this world like normal animal, but like as a crustacean, like yes. as a crab. Yes, the dog, there's, think, there's the trolls, right? Which is just a horse. Think crab. think cow, but crab. Yes, and then axe <laughs> yeah, hound is think dog, but, but crab. crab. Yes. Yes, I. <laughs> If there's there's more crabs to come as well. We there are talk about the big crab. There later. are more crabs to come. You're right. <laughs> so crabby All the crabs. Yeah. All right. Speaking of people who aren't quite in the right headspace, let's talk about Zeth in uh, I three, the glory of ignorance. You this this chapter is very interesting because you do get to understand the mechanics of his oath stone but you don't understand yeah. why. So he explains the rules to his oath stone to the to his new master here, but you still don't understand why he has to do all of these things. True. I was really excited whenever I found out that this was a chapter about Zeth because we went we read about Zeth and him assassinating the king in the prologue and He's the character I've been most curious about this whole time, and I was so excited. Uh, I think it's really interesting. I think the most notable thing, at least about his character that, that we see, is that he really did not... I don't think he wanted to assassinate King Gavilar. He he did not. He he. I, I, I view this whole... He's like working as a slave now, or a simple worker mm -hmm. or such, even though it clearly says he, he's like intelligent and such you know this is i guess below him in a way 
but he says, you know, no one asks a common slave to assassinate someone. Right. And so he's taken this. He would rather do any kind of labor or any odd task or even, you know, he even does like self-harm or something. I mean, it's crazy what he does to avoid, I guess, this past he had in a way. Yep. He will literally do anything except for take his own life uh, mm-hmm. for whoever was holding his oath stone. Doesn't he even just say he's not allowed to take his own life? Correct. I, uh... yeah, he's like, yeah, I, I'm not allowed to. I'm not qualified. Like, <laughs> I, I will definitely say that I, I gained at least a little bit of sympathy, and I'll, I'll say a little bit of sympathy for, for Zeth in that I we got definitely more explanation of why he's forced to do what he's do or yeah, at least how he's forced to do what he's doing. And like you said, Paul, it's clear that he would prefer not to have to do these terrible things such that he's happy doing needless manual labor tasks, as long as they don't realize that they're wasting his incredible skill and all of the other terrible things that he could be doing. So I feel at least a little bit bad for Zeph, but I don't know. I still want to know what he did to become truthless before I before I give him a real pass. I'm very curious too. At the moment, I have full sympathy for Zeth. I think I I very much like the fact he's done this shows me that he, you know, he at least has good intentions, or at least does not want to inflict pain on anyone. Um, and so he's yeah. trying to take yep. what he can into his own hands which is next to nothing. It seems like he really has no control over what he's doing, who who tells him what to do and such. So I'm really, really curious about this Oath Stone because I want to know who's behind that. Me too. Who's mm-hmm. making him do these bad things because Zeth seems awesome on his own, in my opinion. He's really cool. He might be like my favorite character, and I probably have more sympathy for him than anyone else at the moment. Um, <laughs> there's some more bad stuff that I don't know about. Okay. I do think it's interesting that all these dark eyes that find his oath stone or pass it from person to person, I do think it's interesting that they do always pass him off. They they're always a little set off or not set off, off off put by by Zeth. And so no matter how useful he is, no matter how much free labor he does, they do always end up trading him away because there's nothing, there's, there's something not quite right about Zeth and he off puts everybody he meets. Poor guy. I I thought that was an interesting question too, because if you think about it, it, it'd be pretty off putting to me if some world-class scientist or world-class assassin somebody who's way smarter than me has done way more important things is is bound to be my slave like i don't don't know that i i don't know that i could put up with having him do all my chores for me for a while it would just get uncomfortable and i'd i'd probably pass him off too right he's always a high stakes prize so he's like easy to pass off you know it's like Mm-hmm. He'll do what, what others can, plus all this extra stuff. Um, so he's a really like high commodity, but it's interesting to see him in this in this lowly position. Um, 
and such, but but yeah, poor Zeth. I definitely want to learn more about Zeth too. My he's he's my number one question at the moment. I will say my first read, my sympathy level of Zeth was nowhere. Like I had zero sympathy for Zeth. So both of you actually have more both of you have more sympathy for Zeth than I did my first read through. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh let's let's circle back to Ishik, the I one. Um so for for the first read for the first reader of the Way of Kings or any Cosmere uh, book for that matter, what you're supposed to get here is there's the Pure Lake, which is kind of a cool lake area that stretches as far as the eye can see, but you can walk anywhere in it. And the high storms aren't as mo- or aren't as uh, ferocious here. It's a very simple life here. They they're chill. They they're looking for magic fish, and that's their entire life. Uh, Elliot, did you did you grab anything else besides those those facts from this one? Not really. My my notes for for this was this chapter makes no sense. Period. And and there wasn't too much. There there were a couple things that I, that I did pull out. I'll, I'll mention those in a second. But I do think that I am glad that this chapter is is in here regardless. Even if this really means nothing to me as a first time reader, and it really is just a nugget in here for for return readers i still think it it helps to build some world depth to roshar and to this this whole universe that we're in because even though i don't know what's going on here it just helps me understand that hey there's crazy big things going on in the stories we're reading but there's also other stuff going on in completely different parts of the world that we're not even reading about yeah which just makes this world feel even bigger for me so as as a new reader i still appreciate it that that we get to see that Roshar is is so much more diverse than I even thought. Um, but a couple things I pulled out of this chapter, really just one. I, I have a crazy, bold, ridiculous prediction coming out of this chapter. The the person that these hunters are looking for, I think they call him call him Hoyd. They call him Hoyd, Hoyd? or or the Rome. Yeah, or, or they refer to him as the Romer. Mm-hmm. I think I think they're following Noadon. I think they're trying to find Noadon, and that this is just another name for him. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. I like that. All right, Paul. What did you What did you gather from this this chapter? So I, whenever you mentioned that we were going to talk about interlude two and three, and then circle back to one, I was actually sad because <laughs> I wanted to talk about this right away. Actually. All right, we're here. What do you got? I I really liked this chapter. And the reason why I liked this chapter is because I love it whenever I see books and stories take people from all these like different settings and kind of kind of put them together. And that hasn't happened, but I see a lot of potential here. We have Ishik, who's just you know he's the simple fisherman, right? In this, I I, I envision kind of like a rural rural. How do you say it? Small village type, you know, setting. Everyone seems to know everyone, this small town setting. And it's very different from all the other characters we've seen. We've seen Kaladin and Shalon and such, where they're concerned with these, like, you know, high estates and wars and knowledge and such. And I would love to see a character like Ishik 
later on somehow get involved in that way almost like how Yao, but i think helps the story uh with shallan i think ishik can do that with with uh with other types of characters and such and also total side note i really enjoyed having the audiobook for this chapter specifically because i felt like it was uh i felt like it kind of helped uh portray the the small the small town feel you know mm-hmm. you have like the the older fisherman who's like oh is like, <laughs> like My, michael kramer was, does do a, a fantastic job with this chapter specifically he, he does do a very good job and i it, it really like painted a good picture for me and so i really enjoyed it um stuff it was really just a little glimpse at almost like small town drama almost it's like talks about a girl that they're trying to get him to marry and he just might let her catch her someday and and such and i really enjoyed the the painted picture of this kind of simple life um and um i really liked elliot's prediction with with noah on and such Um, my (laughs) my prediction as to why this is important is i believe ishik or maybe someone from his village you know someone who's comes from the simple life is going to get incorporated into this a bigger picture story at some point and that's what i really hope for okay um so i could talk about this chapter for 20 minutes straight for other cosmia readers but i can't <laughs> because that would be spoiler 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 so the only thing that i will say is remember hoyd remember that name going forward that's the only remember hoyd remember ishik I'm glad you said that. I did not even remember Hoyd. So that those are Hoyd is who the three, the three hunters, uh, the three foreigners are looking for. They hired Ishik to look for him for five months, and he did not find him anywhere in the Pure Lake. So, uh, yep. Remember Ishik. Remember Hoyd. And that's all I have to say about that. Um. Awesome interludes done interludes are done all right check. let's do a let's do a spell check before we go into chapter 12 and chapter 13 here so we meet a lot of new characters a lot of new terms coming in here uh, let's start with the current king of alethkar uh elliot how would you like to pronounce this name so the current king it's easy it's like the third word in the chapter uh i think it's pronounced king elokar king elokar okay uh paul how would you how would you like to spell this word yes so so elokar right elokar and my my best guess on how to spell it was E L O K H A R. Okay. You are you have all the right letters. All the right letters are there. You have mis you've misplaced the H. Is it is it before the L? Uh it's right after the L. So it's L Hokar is how it's spelled. I see. Okay. So King L O Car. That's half point. And yeah, he's he is he has said King Elokar, the H is silent. Yes. Okay. Ding, ding. 
right, I got it. All right, Elliot, the next one is the Aleti High Prince, who Adolin kind of gets his skin crawling. He doesn't like him. Well, I'm glad we're not doing Adolin now because I definitely said that one Adolin in my head. Uh, it's so good it's Adolin. <laughs> Adolin, got it. Okay. Uh, but the, the High Prince that he's not such a fan of definitely has to be Sadius, like like Thaddeus, but with an S on the beginning. Sadius. Okay. Uh, I believe it says his first name, too. Does does it say his first name in the, in the chapter? Oh. Does it? I th I thought I was fairly certain it did. Where is that in the chapter? Um, I, I missed that. But go ahead and spell it while y'all look. Yeah, go ahead and uh, give us the spelling of Sadius. Spell Sadius. This one, I thought it would be straightforward, but none of these ever are. My best guess is <laughs> uh, S-A-T-T-I-U-S. Just going for a simple, how it sounds. Sadius. Uh, so this might be your worst one yet, honestly. Oh, it's <laughs> now, that, now that I remember him saying Thaddeus, it's probably like a D, like D E A U S or whatever. However you spell Thaddeus, but but yeah, you're... that's definitely closer. Yes. So yeah. the correct spelling is S A D E A S, Sadius. E A S. Sadius. Sadius. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well. Yeah. I'm fairly certain. Um his first name is Toral. Um spoiler. I'm kidding. And <laughs> I Toral. Yeah. I, Toral. I was fairly certain it was in here somewhere. I totally If I, totally I missed that. If I were to try and spell Toral, I'm thinking back to when we discussed, you know, in 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 Vorin they do the almost palindromes, right? Mm -hmm. So I would go with like a T O R O L, where it's like almost a palindrome. Okay. Toral. I kind of wanted to just do T O R L, like Toral, but T O R O L, final answer. T O R O L. You are correct. That is how you spell his first name. And I'm. I'm actually very surprised i got that right after this after this episode i'm going to go find it because i am i am 98 percent sure it's in this chapter somewhere um well, i can't believe you just spoiled his first name for yeah his, fir tomorrow. his first name is toral <laughs> uh all right and the last one uh we hear in i believe we hear the first one chapter 12 but chapter 13 is where they're highlighted um the the name of the special breed of horse that Dalinar and Adolin have. So Dalinar's his horse's name is Gallant, and Adolin's name is Sureblood. And uh, Dalinar. So what is the name of their their breed of horse? Uh, Elliot. So I thought the the big, super awesome horses was was pretty cool. And the name of them, which I thought I had on the page right in front of me, and now I don't. I I want to say, oh, there it is. Uh, I definitely said Rishadium in my in my head. Rishadium. Okay. Is that close? Uh, close. It 
So, Paul, how do they say it in the audiobook? It's a long A sentence, Rashadium. Shadium. Mm. I would not have guessed that. Yep. Okay. That makes me less care of my spelling, but we're going to go with R Y S H A D I A M. You are You're so close. You are so close. It is, so is it so close. with a U at the end. It is with a U at the end. So oh, I overthought. I overthought R- it and I was like R Y S H A D I U M Rashidium. Um Okay. Uh not our not our best spelling B so far, but not our worst either. So <laughs> we tried. That's pretty good. Yeah. So not bad. Far off Sadius. Yep. Um all right, so let's talk about the the people we've met in this chapter we have adolin we have dalinar we have renarin um adolin's younger brother we have king elokar we have sadius and uh we have sadius and we have wit and we've we've met a couple of the other uh the other officers and um like we met we meet a scout but these are the main characters that were that were that were meeting, and I I just want to highlight how high up in the in the ranks these guys are. This is the king, this is the king's uncle, his two sons, and the next most important high prince. These are the guys in Alethkar, the 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 men of power. This is who we're talking about. I thought the book did actually a really good job of putting exactly what you're explaining it into perspective because up until this point, we've been in the shoes of the foot soldier. Mm-hmm. We've been in Kaladin's shoes on the front line. We've been in the shoes of a slave looking up at the, the shard bearer prince going by with a, a procession. And so now to be put in their perspective is kind of, whoa, you know, this is different. We're now in the, the king as opposed to the, the slave running around carrying bridges around so i i definitely was in a little bit of awe coming into this chapter of whoa now we're talking about kings yep uh and elo and yasna is elo Car's older sister if that helps you at all so that so it's still dalinar would she be dalinar's niece uh yes yes elokar is his yes. nephew yes right? okay the hardest part for me is keeping track of all these people that Keep were straight. There are a lot of names, mm-hmm. and they're all related or at least work together. But um, as best I understand it, Adolin and Renarin are Dalinar's kids, right? Yes. His sons. Okay. Then Elokar is the king. He was Gavilar's son. Correct. Okay. Gavilar was Dalinar's brother. Correct. Okay. And I don't know who the others were in relationship. They just like worked there, right? Yeah. Like they were, they were. <laughs> so the only, the other only other ones you're missing is Toral Sadius and Wit. And Wit is the king's wit. He's King Wit. He's kind of the, the 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 jester, if you will. That's kind of a loose term. And Brandon Sanderson explicitly says that he doesn't like that term because he's supposed to be so much more than that. He's very, he's almost a scholar more than a jester he's he's supposed to do research on the the alethi high court and be in with the gossip and there's a there's a couple there's a sentence in here that they use to uh describe wit if you can't um 
what's the i didn't think it was an interesting take on the the court jester if you Mm -hmm. will because i've always felt like the court jester doesn't really serve any purpose right he just is off in the corner doing his thing but now we have the king's wit who he feels like he has a purpose like the king is using him to gather information or distribute information or affect things in the court through the ways that that is a way more clever usage of the goofy guy who goes around the court. I, I liked it a lot actually, even though the guy seemed a little obnoxious. Yeah. And he's, he's supposed to seem a little obnoxious and that's kind of the, the, the court jester yeah, side of him, but uh, right. Yeah. He's, he's, he is more than that. I thought it was interesting. Uh, I do like that, that the wit is seemingly the king's, like, another pair of keen eyes and ears, mm-hmm. right? Um, exactly. And it says specifically that the king's wit is not, like, comparable to, like, anything else. Right. It's its own category. There's there's dark eyes, yes. there's light eyes, and there's the king's wit. <laughs> yes. Just on just a one one-person thing. So it's it's really unique, and I don't I I want that to come into play more. But I don't I, don't, I feel like that's just kind of a detail that's thrown in there to make it interesting. Um, but I, I don't fully I don't fully get that. It's okay. You'll get it later. Yeah. All will be. Why don't I understand everything now? <laughs> you are reading the wrong yeah, wrong book if you want all answers now <laughs> right now <laughs> all right and the majority of these new characters are shard bearers to one form or another so if you are a shard bearer that means you have one or both of the following you either have shard plate shard blade a shard blade or both and if you have one of those, you're considered a shard bearer. Um, shard plate is this the the most impressive suit of armor you've ever seen. Plus, it glows with stormlight. So it's it's powered with stormlight. It gets cracked. It leaks stormlight when it's uh when it breaks, as we'll see in chapter thirteen. Um, it needs to be powered with with stormlight. And the shard blade, there's a couple rules to this one as well. It it attaches to the soul of the owner, and you can summon it, but it requires 10 heartbeats to summon. And if it drops from you, um, it'll vanish, and then you can summon it again no matter where you dropped it. That's pretty cool. That is I, super cool. I, I think where do I get one? <laughs> True. I think it's interesting about the heartbeat thing. Because it could be like two seconds or it could be like much longer for your heart to beat 10 times, I guess. Yep. Yeah. I, I don't know if there's a purpose behind that or if that's just kind of a uni- <laughs> unique, quirky little mechanic here. Uh, just, um, just to be cool. Yeah. Not. I, yeah, I do think it's interesting that the more the the more adrenaline they have, the faster they get the their sword, which is useful in battle, for sure. True. Um, so, so you answered some of my questions on shard blades, but Adolin makes a comment 
somewhere in these chapters about either Sadius or someone else dueling him for his shard blade. Mm-hmm. Did it, did I did I catch that correctly? Yes. So so you said that the the shard blade is tied to their souls, but somehow you can take someone's shard blade off of them and then you bind with it? Is that how that would work? So this ties in to the Alethi honor codes, which will certainly be explained later. They touched on it and they said that Dalinar is the only one that really cares anymore. But um, the Alethi honor and the Alethi uh, the Alethi presence and persona is very important to them they're very showy they love painting their armor cool cool colors they're parading across this uh across the shattered plains as opposed to marching it's it's very much a procession they've got scribes with them they've got banners they have a bunch of their their honor guard in their full their full colorful uniforms it's it's very much a spectacle and uh and this is just for a hunt right yes they're hunting a chasm fiend and see so big parade just for a hunt as it as it's shown in this next chapter this hunt could certainly go wrong and some (laughs) it this isn't a safe this isn't a fox hunt this is a chasm fiend hunt they're they're hunting a big crab as we as we said earlier (laughs) Um, this is the big crab. The big crab. And yeah, so even if it's dangerous, they're willing to put the lives of their of their people at risk for the spectacle. They love the game, the 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 pomp and circumstance, if you will. I, the other element I noticed that was pretty cool about shard blades and, and shard plate <clears throat> was when they put their shard plate helmets on, the sides of it turned translucent so that they could still at least somewhat see what was in battle. I thought that was a cool element of those. Yeah, um, that is a it's a nice uh, feature, I guess, of the, the shard plate because if you've ever worn a, a medieval helmet, you'll know that you oh, can yeah. see exactly about 10 degrees in front of you. And so it's just a convenient way to be like, oh, this is this is all the perks of armor and none of the none of the downfall. So the 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 shard plate and the alethi are very very bright and very in your face with the one notable exception of Dalinar, right? They Correct. specifically describe him as not painting his armor and leaving it that dull gray color, which I think says a lot about his character, which I I noticed was a very much the quintessential warrior. He's all about the the usability, the the pragmatic use of the armor, not not necessarily the showiness of it. They talk about his his adherence to the Alethi War Codes, which I think it mentions no one for centuries has cared about. And just, I don't know, Dalinar was, was different than the other High Princes, for sure. Yeah. Very humble. One of my two words. <laughs> one of your two so, words. Yes, indeed. 
something that they called him towards the end of chapter 13, I think is they just uh, casually threw it out there was the Blackthorn. They called uh, Adolin referred to him as the Blackthorn in his mind. And that this was very much the old Dalinar coming back, coming back through. He is, and this will be explained later as well, but he is known as the Blackthorn, the, the warlord, the war, the warrior. And, Lately, Adolin and Renarin have noticed that he's fading away from that, and they're a little concerned because that's who he's been all of his life. But when when Elokar is in danger, the Blackthorn comes out, and he is he has all all business. Dalinar is definitely depicted as this. I I feel like. There's some similarities between Dalinar and what we've seen of Kaladin so far, but also, also very, very different. Um, Dalinar has this, uh, you know, very big care for you know procedure and doing things well and kind of caring about people in a way, but not no more than that. He doesn't care about flashy stuff like like you were saying, Elliot. Um, and he doesn't care for um, absurd behavior or, you know, all this stuff. Isn't there a conversation with him, and I could be wrong, with Adolin about the girls he's courting, right? Yeah. Yes. I just can't keep up. He doesn't, he does, he's not concerned about that. He doesn't care about the girls his son is talking to. You know, he, he wants to do his job and do his job well. And I think that's a really great depiction. And he seems to be about the most upright, moral, hardworking character we've seen so far. Definitely. It. We can circle back to Wit here. Wit is Wit is that annoying, awkward uh, family member that brings up awkward conversations in front of your parents. So on purpose. on purpose. So <laughs> yes. Wit so Wit comes up to Adolin and he says, "Oh, you've you've taken yourself away uh from the camp's young women long enough for a hunt. How impressive of you." And his and his father's like, "Oh yeah, how's that how's that girl you're dating, whoever that was?" <laughs> and uh and then Renarin's like, "I I don't uh well, who's who is he dating? I don't remember." But uh, Renarin mentions her name, and then it, and then Dalinar says, "Wait, who? Wait, who is this? What about what's? What about this other girl?" I can't keep up. And yeah, oh, that was two girls ago. Yeah, and then Renarin's like, uh, uh, "Dad, that was that was two months ago. We're we're way past that." Yeah, yeah. Very funny. Um. So then. So we we've kind of we've kind of seen all these characters now, kind of getting them under our belts. Uh, there's a lot to come with that, but the big thing here, the big cool moment, is this chasm fiend fight. Oh uh, man, this is what really has hooked me into this book series. You know, like whenever I read this, I was like, "Whoa!" Like this is awesome. Like it was the first chapter that I was like, "I don't want to put this down." I want I want to see what's coming next. You know, it was it was really epic. I love the imagery uh, for this chasm fiend. I, I'll be honest, the first time I, I looked into this chapter at all, I didn't get that it was a crab. <laughs> I I saw like 14 legs and just this massive size, and I was like, 
oh man, this is colossal. Also one of my words. <laughs> this is this yeah. is epic. And uh like it was a really unique description and, and and depiction. And honestly, whenever I, I I really like looked back over and saw that it was, you know, like a crawfish. <laughs> and it kind of made everything <laughs> slightly less epic in my mind not gonna lie i'm just imagining a giant crawfish now um, <laughs> if it but... if it helps you at all my first listen through i imagined a scorpion a huge like scorpion skeletal type beast without without like the stinger it's just like this massive thing that's just like stomping its legs everywhere it's it's more mm-hmm. it's more low and flat than it is like Craw- crawfish or whatever you said yeah, see, i totally had no crustacean insect stuff in mind i thought it was a big like dinosaur you know i was like mm. this is sick yeah <laughs> uh, underwater things and and crabs and lobsters and stuff like freak me out so this this was a scary beast to face imagine a, a lobster or a crawfish that's 40 feet tall and has legs claws the size of a horse and it's just like oh man yeah the the epic meter just just went to the the top for sure on this uh this chapter we've even seen like it, it kind of puts into perspective how massive and how strong these chasm fiends are because throughout the book we've seen it's been alluded to the strength of of shard plate and such and then it talks about how the chasm fiend its claws are strong enough even for shard plate like it'll just it'll crunch right through it mm-hmm. so uh, it, it kind of puts in perspective the magnitude here, and they talk about Adolin even mentioned. I think maybe it was Renard. I, I get the suns mixed up a little bit. It talks about you know why do I have to be on this hunt? Uh, we just sit there baiting it for hours, shooting it with arrows until it's weak enough where we just go up to it, you know. Um, but but it it kind of shows how if you want to do this without dying, without getting seriously injured. Uh, you have to play it very safe with these chasm fiends. Um, but the depiction of the fight and such was was really cool. Absolutely loved it. The The original plan was for them to bait the chasm fiend onto this other plateau that they're not on, shoot it like 50,000 times with arrows, and then have Elokar ride across in his with his with his horse and kill it, and, and he's the one that killed the chasm fiend um that's not quite how it turns out they actually do end up with in an actual fight with it uh and dalinar comes to save the day but uh that that wasn't the original plan it was supposed to be a like uh an afternoon an afternoon hunt (laughs) so it even talks about whenever uh the fight begins that that they're kind of almost in shock because the chasm fiend suddenly on the same plane as them with all their like you know they they were like children and and people who basically came to to watch it seems like a lot of like you know casual bystanders who are now uh, in potential danger. Definitely did not go as planned, for sure. But it definitely gave for a very epic moment for both Dalinar and Elokar, actually. I was impressed with with Elokar's bravery and just defiance of this beast 
of it. The the Chasm Fiend has come upon him unawares, but Elokar doesn't hesitate. He charges right at the first second, and then there's an epic moment where Elokar is just shouting at the Chasm Fiend defiantly, you know, I claim your life. You know, I am the king. A bit of recklessness in there maybe, but definitely no fear. He's not scared of that thing. Yeah. I want to I want to read, read a quote cuz I do want to explain a little bit of the economics here that's going on cuz they do get gem hearts from these chasm fiends. And yeah, I had questions on that. And we'll get there, but I want to read a quote while we're still on the characters of Elicar and Dalinar. So um This is right in the heat of the battle for both of these quotes. And I want it stops to highlight the dynamics between two of these characters. So the, there's a there's a strange dynamic between Sadius and Dalinar, which I'll talk about after this quote. It says Sadius stood in his red plate, taking another massive arrow from an uh, attendant. He drew, launching the thick bolt into the chasm fiend's shoulder with a sharp crack. Dalinar raised Oathbringer in salute. Sadius acknowledged, raising his bow. They were not friends, and they did not like one another. But they would protect the king. That was the bond that united them. So, this this kingdom is not fully united. And that's highlighted by Dalinar's uh, dreams that he's having that says unite them. That's that's itching at him that this this kingdom isn't fully united. That they they respect the throne they're going to protect the throne but they're not fully united and sadius and him are not they're not friends and uh so Dal and then i want to uh highlight dalinar's uh dynamic relationship between elokar and him this is uh a page and a half later something changed inside dalinar reservations vanished other concerns became meaningless his brother's son was in danger. He had failed Gavilar, had lain drunk in his wine, while his brother fought for his life. Dalinar should have been there to defend him. Only two things remained of his beloved brother. Two things that Dalinar could protect in a hope to earn some form of redemption. Gavilar's kingdom and Gavilar's son. Elokar was alone and in danger. Nothing else mattered. So... Uh, Dalinar feels guilty for his brother's death, as he probably should, because he was drunk the, the night Zeth killed him. Uh, but it's to the point of eating him alive with guilt. He is terrified that the kingdom will fall apart, his brother's kingdom will fall apart, and his his brother's son will die. So he he feels overly protective, even to the point where he Adolin is thrown from his horse and is in the same exact situation that Elokar is in. And he turns to protect Elokar, the king, as opposed to Adolin, his own son. Both of them are on the ground in their shard plate underneath this chasm fiend, and he goes to protect Elokar. <laughs> Adolin must have felt pretty bad about that, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> like, what? But but at the same time, I think you're right. Adolin, Adolin, like, but but dad, yeah, me, 
But at that same time, Adolin recognizes that the old Dalinar has awakened in that moment. That the what was his name? The Blackthorn. The Blackthorn Black is his title. Is yeah. Yeah. Do we know why he has the title yet? No. Can you tell me? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh. The gem hearts. So, Fabrials and Soulcasters use gemstones to produce things from from one thing to another. These chasm fiends have hearts that are pure gemstone and uh, have Stormlight in them. So not only are they fighting the Parshendi on the Shattered Plains, they are also hunting these Chasm Fiends to sustain their wealth. They're using these Chasm Fiends, Chasm Fiends gem hearts to make food for the army and clothes and stuff. And they'll, they'll, go, into, they'll go into detail later. They deliberately don't have supply lines out to the Shattered Plains. Everything that is being made in the Shattered Plains is grown there or or soul cast there. So they are using these Chasm Fiends as a way to sustain the entire army. That's how powerful these gemstones are. They're they're so they're so worth it to to grab two thousand men, march out onto the, the plateau for the afternoon, kill this thing, carve out its gem heart, and walk all the way back. Um, that's how that's how worth it these things are. Interesting. And then also, did they talk about that these chasm fiends pupate in in chrysalises? Chrysalises. 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 Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but they, but I think they talked about it in previous. They at least mentioned it in the, in the previous chapters, and it seems like they allude to it a little more here that. When they're fighting against the Parshendi to take plateaus, they're trying to take chrysalises. Are they? Are these chasm fiends that have are trying to metamorphosis into something else, and they're they're killing them then to take their gem heart? Is that how that works, or do we know that? Yes. Yet? So the chasm fiends come up on top of the plateaus. They assume they live in the in the chasms um, between the plateaus, mm -hmm. but they come out on top of the plateaus to pupate, and they they have like scouts, which they'll explain later as well, um, looking out for these pupating chasm fiends, and they run out there to try to get the gemstone and run back before the Parshendi get them. It's basically how the war works. Got it. That makes sense now. Which is why Sadius is using bridge crews. Bridge crews are faster than, um, like, like hand, like, running bridge crews. Uh, the other high princes don't use them because they think it's a cheap use of life. But Sadius is willing to sacrifice the lives of bridgemen to uh, get out there faster. Which is where poor Kaladin is. Which is where Kaladin is. Wow. It's all coming together. Do you guys have any other questions on these chapters? We've, I feel like we've uh, covered them pretty well. I True. think so. I think that was everything I had. I don't have anything anything super profound or interesting left. I'm very curious to see where these characters go, and I would say I'm very curious to hear more about uh, Dalinar. Mostly, I, I'm now curious to know why he's called the Blackthorn. Um, 
and stuff. But yeah, I'm really excited to to learn more about these these characters going forth. So we are at the end of chapter 13. I will tell you that we have met the majority of our cast going forward. Who are you most intrigued for, Elliot? Who am I most intrigued for? Probably the one I want to learn more about at this point is is Dalinar, but that's probably just because we haven't seen too much of him yet. I think maybe the most intrigued is probably Kaladin. I'm really intrigued where Kaladin is going to go, where his journey goes from that pretty pivotal moment we saw from him before, but most curious to learn about would be Dalinar. Okay. Uh, Paul? Can I pick more than one? No. Yes. <laughs> you okay, you so... can have honorable mentions, but you can't. Okay, I'll have an honorable <laughs> mentions. Okay, yeah, I, I have my honorable mentions. I'm actually really curious about Sylphrena. Okay. I feel like this Windsprint is not like the other Windsprint, right? And I feel like there's something that we don't know, and that, I don't know, maybe she's not actually a Windsprint. Maybe she's something different, and we're going to find out a lot more about that. I'm very curious to see if something with that happens. Uh, that That's honestly what I'm, I'm hoping for. I'm hoping she's more than just a wind sprint or something. My honorable mention is actually... I'll get two honorable mentions. Zeth. I want to know more about Zeth. Okay. Uh, and Ishik. I'm assuming that's not going to happen for a long time. But but thinking about that chapter has gotten me really curious where, the, where he's going to go. And I really want to see him collide somehow. Okay. So I'm surprised Zeth didn't make your top, but I I completely understand Sil. Those two those two are right there. Like I, I I have more faith that we'll find out something cool about Zeth. But with Sil if not, then I'll be kinda let down, I'm not gonna lie. But if the, if there's nothing more. Um but I think there's a lot we don't know. Uh I'm with you. I think there are plenty of pages that you don't know yet, so we'll <laughs> We'll, we'll get there all right uh i can say with confidence that we have uh closed out these chapters and we will continue next week thanks for joining me elliot and paul peace farewell <laughs>